Hello. Hey, I think that's better. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Oh, that's, you know, it's so funny considering we're recording a tech thing that it's just like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. I have many occasions to experience this irony. Welcome to today's family experience, helping families pull together in a world that's pulling families apart. My name is Chuck Higley, and I'm the host today, as well as lead the team here at Project Patch. I'm really excited about our time together and getting to share this interview today with with Andy Crouch. I think a lot of you probably have heard the name Andy Crouch. I think probably quite a few have read his books. He's written extensively. He's got a a speaking um, ministry that's taken him all over, and and he's really been involved in some exciting things. Um, Let me just do a quick little intro, uh, and I think... As he, as I read off some of these things, you'll say, "Oh, that's exactly exactly how I know him." Um, Andy Crouch is a partner for a theology and culture firm called Praxis. They're an organization that works as a creative engine for redemptive art entrepreneurship. Um, real interesting things that they have going on over there with both entrepreneurship, launching some companies that have um, both a, a practical good in the sense that they're they're creating products and services that are are pretty amazing, but also. Um, the key is that they're redemptive, is that they're also gospel impacted and, and really doing some amazing things around the, the country and as, as well as the world. Um, today we're talking about his most recent book called The TechWise Family, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place, um, which is a book that he wrote um, with support from Barna Research. And so we're going to get into that. Um, he's also written Strong and Weak, Embracing a Life of Love, Risk, and True Flourishing. He wrote Playing God. Um, subtitled Redeeming the Gift of Power, and a book that, that um, I think a lot of people have, have been impacted by is his book Culture Making, Recovering Our Creative Calling. And so written extensively, um, both in book form as well as, as several other forms, um, he serves on the governing boards of Fuller Theological Seminary and the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities. Um, he was a past editor of Christianity Today as well as executive editor for, for several years. Um, he served on the John Templeton Foundation as a st- senior strategist. Um, his work and writings have been in New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, um, Time Magazine, as well as several editions of the best Christian writing and best spiritual writing um, information. For some of the people that are maybe a little younger, um, <laughs> he's also um, gotten a shout out. Um, the line was, Andy Crouch wrote a book about culture making. I think that's actually... I just slaughtered it, but in Lecrae in 2014, signal not, single nonfiction, Lecrae's a, um, a Christian that, that um, also does quite a bit of rapping. Well, he's a Christian rapper, so I, yeah, it's interesting. So maybe some of you haven't heard it, but um, I just slaughtered it out there for you guys. Um, but he was involved in that that single, um, got a shout out. So it's always funny how, how things come out. Um, he's been an inter- um, editor-in-chief of Regeneration, a quarterly magazine having to do with Christians and culture. Um, for 10 years, he was a campus uh, minister with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on the campus of Har- Harvard University, um, studied classics at Cornell, received MDiv summa cum laude from Boston University School of Theology. Um, what's interesting is he's a classically trained musician. Um, I've heard him play play piano and lead worship in some amazing ways. He's classically trained, but draws on pop, folk, rock, jazz, gospel, um, led um, worship for congregations of five, which is probably his family, all the way up to 20,000 plus. Um, so interesting guy. I mean, he's gotten a lot of things done, and, and um, he's father of two teens, lives in Pennsylvania with his wife, 
and um, I, I just was was excited when I got to hear him this last um, early December at a conference, and as I started listening to him, I had also at the same time had read his book TechWise Family, and I, and just really hooked on on the ideas that he that he brings about his perspective and his wisdom as well as. Just his kind of humility and, and ability to take on some tough topics and, and stay out of the weeds. Um, so I've read the book a couple times, and um, Andy and I had a chance to connect um, and send some emails back and forth, and we scheduled this recording in July um, seven months ago. So I, I've been eagerly anticipating it, and so I guess we'll, we'll get right to it. Here's my conversation with Andy Crouch. Andy, welcome to today's family experience. So glad that you joined us. I'm so happy to get to talk. Now, you, you know, so people to get to know you a little bit better, I'm sure quite a few people have seen you, um, heard you, seen your books and, and different things like that. You've spent a lot of your your adult time or really focused on on discipleship, helping people around university settings, help people around some some really big topics of life. <laughs> <laughs> Why now focus on this? I mean, this book's kind of a departure for you, isn't it? Uh, that's interesting. It is in a way. So yeah, I um, as a writer, as a journalist, I've been writing about culture, which is a massive topic. I like big topics, I'll say. Um, and this book, The TechWise Family, is really much more focused than anything I've tried to write before. <laughs> which may explain why it's actually selling better than the other things I've written. Um, although I think the real reason it's selling is that um, it's a topic that people feel fairly desperate for help on because this is an area of culture um, that has changed so fast in in one lifetime, right? Like my parents' lifetime, uh, they're in their 70s now. Uh, they grew up uh, in rural America with barely any technology of any kind. I mean, rural electrification had happened maybe 10 or 20 years before they were born. Um, telephone was out in the barn, you know, <laughs> and they are watching their grandchildren, uh, who are my kids now, uh, late teenagers, uh, live through this massively technologized uh, existence. And, and then we're all trying to parent uh, in this. So... I just stumbled on this topic uh, in a way and um, and felt like, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the big picture of how technology is changing our whole culture, but I'm also really interested in, in families. And, um, and my wife and I have had to be interested in this because we've raised two kids and we had to make choices along the way that we ended up making pretty carefully. And we realized many people around us were not, um, maybe weren't aware that they were making choices, but they actually were. And they weren't always the best choices, it seemed to us. And so we made some pretty different choices. And so I thought, well, maybe I can write a book about that. <laughs> and I think what's what's fascinating about, you know, so many different things that you're, you're this book to me, as I read it, it, it comes across very personal. Mm. You know, where a <laughs> yes, lot of- That's intentional. Yeah, a lot of tech books come across as- you know, even books about technology or books about families and technology are really about the technology. You really are uh, about the family. Completely. And and actually, the most encouraging pe thing people have said to me about the book is they said, even if this wasn't about technology, it would it would be a really helpful book about being a parent. And because actually, that's what I, what I want us to embrace as parents and as whole families 
is this is actually about something much bigger than uh, what's technology for, or what age did my kid get a cell phone or a smartphone or whatever. It's really about the question, what is family for? Like, why are, why are we in families? What is What does it mean to be a parent? What does it mean to be a child? And how do we take this incredibly precious gift of in the end, a very small number of years we have together as uh, parents and children or with young children and make the most of it for everyone, not just for the kids, but for the parents. So it, it really is a book more about family than it is about tech. And it's and then I felt like, gosh, I can't write a book, an abstract book about family. I have to write about my own experience and all the like joys and silliness and strangeness of our particular children and us as parents. And so we tried to put all that in there in, into the book. And I think that balance, I really enjoyed that because there's the, there's, I hate to say theory, but there's the, the big picture <laughs> and then there's the reality yeah, check. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Every chapter. I, so, you know, uh, as you know, and as readers will see if they, if they read the book, uh, it's built around these 10 commitments that families can make to put technology in its proper place. Uh, but these commitments are, some of them are pretty radical. They're all demanding in different ways and they're not, none of them are easy. And in our own family, we've been, you know, very, uh, had very mixed results. <laughs> so even though I really believe in all 10 and I really believe to the extent we've been able to do each of these, it's been good. Um, it's also been true that at different seasons or in different respects, like we have not always lived up to our commitments. And so I felt like I have to end every chapter with the section that we call Crouch Family Reality Check, just honestly disclosing like the ways in which we've um, not always done this, or especially dad has not always done this. And and this is another thing that's very encouraging is how often people say that was actually some of their favorite parts of the book was just where it's very honest and direct about our limitations, which are just actually a big part of what family is about, is discovering your limits as well as your successes. Well, and I think that that does, I mean, to me, that illustrated it so much because it's so easy to have these ideals mm. and then at the same time be looking for some sort of shortcut or looking, I mean, mm. we are in constant flux and our kids are constantly growing up and changing. The demands around us are changing. And then the promise of a new piece of technology, you know, all of this is swirling around together. And and it really is hard for, for a parent to figure out, you know, what is what is the baseline? Uh, yes, exactly. And, and, you know, this, by the way, makes it really hard to write books about this stuff, because uh, it's one thing to write like a blog post that can go up tomorrow, but a book takes a year to write and get published. And then we'd like it to stick around and be helpful for at least a few years. But of course, the technology is changing so fast, like the specifics of technology are changing so fast. Like this fall, uh, Apple will let you let you track screen time as part of the system, it'll make it much easier to track and limit screen time. Uh, that's brand new. That'll be in this, you know, iOS 12 update in the fall of 2018. Well, that didn't exist when I wrote this book. And so I had to write about things that were bigger and deeper than uh, the current iteration of tech. Um, and the other thing is, of course, um, any and this is true in parenting in general, isn't it actually that <laughs> like you, you just solve one problem as a parent and then you're on to the next problem. <laughs> like you just figure out how to sleep through the night and then you it's something totally different. And And in a way, parenting is so much about improv, like you know, it's so much about responding big. And then, you know, each child is different. If you have more than one child, um, that this book really couldn't be for all these reasons. It couldn't be about 
like a list of things to do. It had to be much more about what are the principles that I'm going to get so deeply ingrained in my heart and mind and and kind of in the fabric of our family's life that when that new app comes on the app store or when that new device comes out, like, you know, Alexa didn't exist. This the Oh, I just talked to her and now she's going to, <laughs> she woke up. She wants to talk back. I don't need you, Alexa. Go away. Um, uh, that, that didn't even exist uh, when, when I wrote the book. But what decisions are we going to make about these devices and these new things that will come along? What are, what are we going to base those decisions on? It can't just be on what the technology will do for us. It has to be on a deeper kind of sense of what's my family for? What, is, what are our priorities? What do we care most about? And then within that framework, we can make decisions about whatever happens next in our family's life. Yeah. the One of the things that I, I meet so many parents out there that it seems like there's two camps. There's one camp that believes that, that you know, bubbling our kids, building the right wall, buying the right property, the right filter, you know, these are the things that will protect <laughs> them. There's other parents that just kind of give up and they have the, I figured it out my kid will have to figure it out mentality. So it's, yeah. there's this extreme and you really yes. talk about this topic, this idea, you know, start sharing this idea that bubbling doesn't work, but what we really have to do is, is get our kids immune systems up. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, uh, I actually, you know, it's amazing what seems to be happening to immune systems in, in a technological world. So, you know, in a way this has, doesn't have that much to do with screens. It has more to do with air conditioning mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that, that we spend so much time in indoors and, and children are spending so much less time outside. And so we literally know that, um, the lack of outdoor play is, uh, limiting every child's chance to encounter lots of things in the environment. Like they get their hands dirty and some of that goes in their mouth and then their body has to figure out like what's safe, what's a threat, you know? And when your body never has the chance to figure that out, your immune system uh, doesn't develop or you can develop these autoimmune disorders that are, are tr tremendously more prevalent today than they were a generation ago. And we don't know all the reasons for that, but it may well be that part of that is, is kids aren't playing out of doors. And so the irony is, if you want your child to have a healthy immune system, that is one that can actually sort out what's a threat and what's not really a big deal, um, it's actually better for them to be exposed to contamination. Like the way to have a healthy immune system is not to be insulated all the time from any possible germ and to have every surface wiped down with an antimicrobial wipe before you touch it. Um, that, that also doesn't mean, of course, that you just go, let your kids go out and eat the dirt, right? You, you teach them, but you give them enough exposure that they start to have their own, their own body can physically um, figure out what's safe and what's not. And I really think this applies in a way to how we handle kind of cultural, the, the cultural toxins around us. I mean, I personally feel we're living in a very culturally toxic environment um, for adults and for kids. But you you will there you cannot buy enough insulation to prevent your children from running into the toxins in our cultural environment. What you can do is build your family's life around um, healthy, really healthy habits uh, together that that give them a sense of what a healthy life is, and then you can trust that when in spite of your best efforts, they encounter all kinds of stuff you'd rather they didn't, <laughs> yeah. um, that they will have the kind of 
orientation, you might say, to know that's not healthy. I don't want any more of that. Uh, that's That doesn't really matter, but I'm not going to get that excited about it because it's not the best of life. Like the, the biggest threat of technology, it seems to me, is not the really, I, I mean, pornography, for example, is what a lot of parents worry about. And you should absolutely worry about it. And you should realize your children are going to get exposed to it, honestly, no matter what you do and no matter how, mm-hmm. how sheltered you try to make their environment because of the way other kids have access to it. Um, but I'm actually less concerned about that, which any child with a decent amount of kind of moral formation can figure out this is not right. This is not best. I don't, I don't want to seek this out. I'm much more concerned about the things that seem benign, but that actually end up sucking up all of children's and parents' time and attention. Um, you know, I'm more concerned about Candy Crush than I am about, you know, the, the video game or the little phone game and the way that sort of saps my energy and creativity and attention and love of beauty in the world than I am actually about the really vile stuff that is also a danger out there. So it's actually like not being taken in by just the benign uses of the technology. It's not just being able to see and resist the the really dangerous things. And and that's where I think the the power of, of so much of what you do, especially in the foundation of this book, and, and we're not going to go through all of it just because I think parents need to wrestle with it and, and read it on their own and figure out stuff. But you spend a lot of time trying to create give kids a chance to to get the authentic get the real thing and so you talk a lot about creating Mm -hmm. a space for family filling your family space with things that will will really produce the the types of relationships and curiosity and and experiences that you're wanting so you're talking about space you're talking about time um, how family and individuals use their time and then you know you you talk later on about music and some of those sorts of things and car time Mm -hmm. and because I think that's where the power is at is that if the kids can experience the authentic, the powerful, that gives them context for the, you know, for the shallower versions of it. Yes, exactly. So the very basic principle is on the one hand, what technology promises is to make our lives easy. And I would say like the basic promise of technology is easy everywhere. Your life will be easy and everywhere you go, it'll be easy. And the basic um, task of family is in a way to make things difficult in the right way. So uh, what are we going to do for fun? Uh, well, if you uh, turn to technology, it'll give you a very easy way to have fun at Candy Crush or whatever your game of choice might be. But what about just setting out a bunch of paints on a table that's impervious to stains and say, why don't you try to draw something right now? That's harder than uh, just looking at pictures, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, on a device Um, or, okay, uh, go out in the backyard and make up a game uh, versus play a video game. Now that's in the short run harder, but it has so many more dimensions of creativity than that video game does, no matter how complex that video game might be. Um, and it's it's harder at first, but it develops capacity. And the problem with this easy everywhere promise of technology is it actually doesn't help us grow very much. We don't change or become different as we use technology. It just lets us stay the way we are and get the things we want. Whereas a healthy family, I think, has both space and time, kind of rhythms of time, where we turn off all those devices 
and we say we're now going to do perhaps something that could seem quite difficult, which is we're going to make our own fun. We're going to uh, discover what's out there in the world. We're going to play without a, a plan or an agenda and just see what happens. And the great thing about kids in particular is they're, they're so creative. If you just give them time and space to be creative after an initial resistance, which will take the form of, oh, I'm so bored, there's nothing to do. Just on the other side of that boredom is creativity. And in fact, I think boredom uh, well, creativity is always just on the other side of boredom. You have to sort of go through that moment of, I don't know what to do. There doesn't seem to be anything to do here. And then you find there's always something to do. Um, and kids in particular will make things up with just amazing creativity if you just give them enough time and space to do it. So a lot of the book is about different angles on creating that kind of time and space. On that time. And, and the power of that is, I mean, parents just have to read it, but I, I found it, it makes, it makes such a difference because I mean, so many kids are longing for something deeper, but getting there, it takes, it takes that parent leadership. You know, your chapter on boredom, I thought was just, <laughs> was just classic. And and right now we're, we're recording this, you know, right after July 4th. Um, <laughs> I'm sure parents are so sick of that word already. <laughs> Yes, summer is tough uh, for if you're in a kind of classic uh, school year pattern. Yeah, uh, yeah. the summer is is challenging. <laughs> you really, you really talk about that relationship between boredom and and that that need to be stimulated, or you know the 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 fact that that's a fairly modern modern invention, even completely. Yeah, totally modern word. Uh, there were no words in in like European languages, English, French, whatever, uh, for for what we call boredom before the 19th century. It's it comes with industrialization because before the industrial era, and think about how different family was before the father initially, and then in this 20th century mom as well went off to work, like off mm -hmm. to another place to work. You used to do all your work in the household, right? Um, most people were farmers. Some had artisan, you know, trades or whatever. And most of that happened around the house. The kids were there for all of it. Um, they saw their parents doing things. They helped out to the extent they could. And everyone lived this kind of integrated life in, a, in the natural world, which is not boring. One thing about the natural world, it's just infinitely surprising and beautiful. There's something about a meadow uh, or a forest or the sky that is just endlessly interesting and mm -hmm. engaging to us. But with industrialization, first work got really boring. So think about what it's like for, for a father who's, say, for generations, maybe you were a, a, a miller, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. we get our last names from these. So uh, your last name was Miller because generations of your family had taken grain and in a very rudimentary machine had kind of, you know, uh, turned it into flour. And so you had the smells of that and you had the the water that turned the wheel gurgling in the background and your kids were around while you were doing that. And now you are sent off to a factory where there are now these machines that are incredibly loud, very dangerous. You play one little mechanical role in keeping that machine going. You are basically turned into a machine. Now, suddenly your life is boring in a way that all the millers in your family never, never was. And then our home lives, um, in a way, get industrialized. And we move indoors. And especially once we get air conditioning, <laughs> we stay indoors. 
And indoors is just less interesting than outdoors. Um, now it's more comfortable, it, like it's climate controlled, um, but boredom really arises. The first people to use the word boredom in the English language are aristocrats. And they're the people who live upstairs where all the interesting work, all the cooking gets done downstairs by the servants, all the gardening gets, gets done outdoors by the servants. And they're just sitting in the drawing room playing cards. And it's in that context that people start ta talking about being bored. Well, we're all aristocrats now. Uh, none of us do this kind of um, integrated manual labor. And in many ways, our lives are easier for that. And I don't think we want to go, we don't mm -hmm. want to rewind the clock. Um, but we do have to now choose the kind of environments that aren't boring, uh, rather than just choosing entertainment, which is very superficial. And the, the crazy thing, and but every parent knows it's true, is actually the more you entertain children, the more bored they, the more borable they become. Mm -hmm. Like you give them that game today and tomorrow they're going to want two times that much time with the game. And, and they'll complain even more about being bored. Whereas you send them outside to play today, they'll be not very happy for the first few minutes and they may come in and say that was boring, but the next day they'll be more able to entertain themselves outside. So it's either a vicious cycle or a virtuous cycle, depending on which one we choose. Well, and it's, it's, as I speak to teens out there, one of the things I share with them is that their ability to live for or have extended periods in their, in their day that are non-stimulated Huh. is going to be one of the most pivotal things for their success because that'll set wow. them apart from their peers in ways that we can't even wow. understand yet. Wow. Yes, that's that's very profound. Um, attention and contemplation are the real sources of creativity and the only sustainable economic advantage. I mean, even just thinking very practically, like how's my kid going to have a job and like survive in this yeah. world? Is, is creativity, it's human ingenuity. And ingenuity comes from that ability to be uh, creative, attentive, uh, and and you are not that way when you're constantly plugged in. That's very interesting. I, I haven't ever quite thought about it that way. And I, you're I, really I saying that boredom is a signal, I mean, it's, it's actually a signal from our bodies longing to do really hard work, engagement. Yeah. Yes, 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 that's right, that's right. It's a sign that you're not being creative, but you could be. Uh, but we now have the option whenever we start getting that signal to distract ourselves from it and to turn to the, especially the screen um, and, and shortcut or short circuit that signal we're getting from our, I, I really like the way you say body, because I think it is, it's a body, mind, soul, like combination of experiences. Um, and we now can opt out of boredom anytime we want, but that actually means we're opting out of solitude we're opting out of silence. We're opting out of ultimately attention, which means we're not going to create. We're just going to react rather than respond to the world and other people. And that's where, you know, getting back to your, your non-tech, you know, some of the things about creating a space that would increase that engagement. So your kids have options other than, or you and your kids together, you have, you have a lot of things yeah. just handy that you can, you know, play with, fiddle with you know, having the art supplies, having the table, having the, the, the tactile type things around just to make it easier. 
Totally. So it's raw ingredients in the kitchen. You know, not we're not doing cake mix here. We're starting with flour. Kids love starting with flour, right? Yeah. Rather than starting with cake mix, let alone starting with the cake out of the freezer. You know, uh, it's art supplies. Uh, we had a uh, we had when our kids were small a craft table um, made of. I mean, you just there was nothing you could do to destroy this table. It, it looks it's made by these uh, like Amish people who know how to make indestructible. <laughs> furniture it's used in this furniture is used in preschools and this table i swear it looks this the way it did the day we bought it it's so indestructible uh in spite of the fact that for like a good 15 years it had uh art supplies on it paints and all kinds of things you know one thing about the non-technological fun is it's messier than technological fun and who cleans up the mess mostly mom sometimes dad not the kids as much as we'd like i mean this is one of the things it's one of the trade-offs you have to make is realizing it's going to be messier, um, but I'm, my kids actually will be happier and more engaged than they are with the unmessy iPad that they can you can just wipe the f- fingerprints off at the end. Um, so we had that out all the time. Like those raw materials were there all the time for them to use, and and so when the kids would get bored, we'd say, "Well, go go make something. Here's some clay, you know." And you want you want the simplest possible materials because kids can actually be more creative with simple materials than they can with complex materials. And to me that there's so much, because as we share this with parents, I think there's probably some parents that are sitting out there saying, well, you know, it's summertime. I'm so busy. I've got stuff to do. You uh-huh. know, this feels like even more, more weight on me. Your experience <laughs> with that has been the opposite though, hasn't it? In the long run, it's definitely the opposite. The, you know, it's a, it's like so many things in life. Um, you know, do you want, do you want the good thing today or do you want it for the long run? Um, so if you want a good thing today, the only way to get it is to purchase it often. Like, do you want music today? If you're not a musician, if you don't play an instrument, you have to buy music or, you know, go to Spotify and play music or go to YouTube and play music. Um, do you want to be able to make music for the rest of your life? Well, then you can learn an instrument. Now, very hard for adults to do, actually not hard for kids to do uh, because kids acquire that stuff so fast. Um, And so do I want my kids to be quiet and compliant right now? (laughs) My only option right now, if we haven't set up these patterns, is to give them a screen, right? And that'll do it, like snap, they'll be compliant. But do I want them to be able to be self-entertaining for hours on end, uh, and to play with each other for hours on end without needing a lot of intervention from me in the long run, the best way to do that is not to give them a screen today. Uh, so it all depends on, do I need this behavior right this moment? <laughs> in which case, uh, you probably the DVD player is the way to go um, or Netflix or whatever. Or do I want it like for the rest of our lives? In which case I've got to put in some time and attention today but that's going to pay off even as soon as tomorrow, definitely next week. Amazingly, within a month, it, things will change. And next summer will be totally different from this summer if we put in the effort now. So it's always that trade-off. And I just think technology makes it so easy for us to always choose the thing today. But it actually means we never get the long-run growth that we want for our kids and and for us, uh, too, as, as their parents. So how did you process? I've got... Um third fourth and excuse me third fifth and sixth grader now yeah. at home and we are i mean we have tech at home we we do some stuff but at the same time compared to their typical classmate 
they're not playing sure. the same games. They're not. Yeah, yeah. The quantity, the TV, the movies. I mean, we just aren't aren't there. There's been a, a phase, you know, especially with with one of my my girls that I've had to really, you know, honey, I'm sure it's really hard to go to school and be the one person that that mm. feels like you don't have something or that maybe your parent your you're treated like maybe you're you're younger or babyish or you know or just be out of the yeah. loop it, it must be hard and i'm sorry that it it feels that way it's not that i'm giving her access to the things that that we don't want her to do <laughs> but at the same time it's got to yeah. be it's got to be hard for for kids being raised in a tech wise home next to other homes that are really tech unwise you know and how do you process how have you processed that with your kids <laughs> well it is hard and it's harder at certain stages for certain kids than for others. And, you know, for our son, it was, I mean, the very hardest thing for our son when he was about eight years old, that roughly that age, um, his friends from school would come over to our house. And the only thing these boys seemed to know to do together was play video games. And we didn't have any. <laughs> And they would never come back. I mean, they would literally come on over one time and be so horrified at how boring it was. And my son, I mean, eight-year-old boy, he wasn't necessarily like the smoothest social. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so hard watching my little son try to manage this and not really be able to. Um, and it, it was really tough. And then, you know, there are other things, like you say with your daughter about like, do you just know the cultural references and so forth? Um, so the, the, the main thing we had to do was say, yes, it's hard. And, um, we also, we, tr so we were, I mean, we were compared to our neighbors, almost Amish in the way that we lived in our daily life with technology, especially when our children were under 10, like they just did not have access to anything with a screen. Uh, we were quite radical in that way. And I would recommend it. And they would recommend it, by the way. They're now 18 and 21. They would absolutely say it was the best thing. But it was really hard at the time. Um, we, On the other hand, we, were, we did not try to uh, police or control what they experienced when they went over to friends' houses. So they didn't have a rule like no video games anywhere. Uh, and I think that made things easier for my son um, when he went other places. So we tried to be not legalistic about it, even by, while being very clear about what life was like in our home. Uh, so that was one thing. Um, but, but the main thing is, uh, I think every child has to hear over and over from the first moment they can understand this sentence, our family is different. And and you have to provide enough enough love and support that they think on balance that's a good thing. <laughs> and there will be seasons when they don't think it's a good thing. But I'll tell you, what kind of adult do you want? Do you want an adult who can resist the cultural flow around them, who when other people are doing something, they say, well, that's not what I do. And they have the kind of internal strength to say, well, I'm different. I want that kind of, I want to be that kind of person. I want my children to be that kind of person because honestly, they're going to face way more serious consequential pressures uh, in their 20s, let's say, um, fr from the culture around them when they're going to be able to, they're going to need to be able to say, uh, our family is different or I'm different or I'm part of a community that does things differently. Way more serious matters than whether you, use video games or not. 
And so a little training in that, as hard as it is at those tender ages, and our kids, there were tears, there were moments of great difficulty, but now that they're in their late teens, they would absolutely not have changed a thing. And they see how they have the capacity to make choices that their friends have a really hard time making. Mm. And that's, the, you, you have to be, you have to be in parenting for the long game. <laughs> it's the only way to do it. You know, that's, that's, I, I love that you, you shared that long, long-term focus and really giving them that chance that, that they start seeing it for themselves, you know, and, and start appreciating that they've got something that that's pretty unique. Um, Yes, yes, totally. Uh, the other thing I would say is um, I, I never want to make this only about the kids' use of technology <laughs> because uh, it makes a big difference if the parents are, are, are similarly, um, especially as kids get a little older. I mean, a, a five-year-old is not going to notice or care or, or won't, won't be able to articulate it. But your 15-year-old will really be able to see if you decide I don't answer emails in the evenings, if you have the kind of job that the email's just always arriving and there's expectation of response. And you say, you know, for the sake of our family from five to eight in, in the evening or, you know, whatever, uh, my coworkers probably do answer their phones or do answer texts, but I don't so that I can be with you. Your kid is going to notice that. And uh, so it's, it's not just about the kids. It's about as a whole family making choices that are costly, but are also really good for all of us. And, and when it's not a, when it's not a um, set of rules that parents impose on their kids, but it's something we all do together as a family, that makes a big difference in making it kind of sustainable in the long run. And that's, to me, that, that, that's so powerful that you say that because how a parent, I mean, our kids are watching us constantly, but at the same time, they're watching with longing. You know, when you look at, oh. at how does my dad handle making a mistake? You know, how does he make things right? Does my dad, is he fine playing and, you know, being embarrassed? You know, those sorts mm -hmm. of things, wow. um, oh. you know, those are, those are golden moments, but you don't get those unless you're making mistakes and, <laughs> and playing and, oh, you know, and, and in the, in life with them. Um, yeah. And I do find yeah. that, you know, but as personally, my wife would tell you that my kids would tell you that it's hard for me to be present when my phone's with me. Uh -huh. Oh, um, really? How unusual. <laughs> <laughs> you must have a very it, strange problem. It kills me. <laughs> it, but, you know, the they they our kids are longing for that. You know, they just want to be with oh. dad. They want to be with mom. They they they'd like to be more important. Uh, and that you know, uh, well, when we ask we did some research for this book as you know, and and one of the things that my colleagues at Barna Group did um research-wise was they asked teenagers What's if you could change one thing in your relationship with your parents, what would it be? And you kind of wonder what would what would your own you know what would my kids say? Uh, well, the number one answer, the most common answer from teenagers is, I wish my parents would spend less time on their phones and more time talking to me. <laughs> and that's their like that's their number one request. Um, the thing that happens in parenting is is your uh, your small children, uh, like under 10, um, they're so transparent in their need. And yet it's amazing how, and this would certainly be a reality check in my life, how, how often, even at that stage, I was distracted by other things and would send them the message, you know, directly or indirectly, I'm not paying attention to you. I'm paying attention to this other thing. The tricky thing is when kids go through adolescence, they often stop sending those signals, but they're actually feeling the same desire for connection. 
Um, but parents, what happens is parents interpret the sort of growing, you know, there's this differentiation we call it that happens in adolescence where you're becoming your own person. You're, you're, you're separating from your parents in certain ways. Um, but teenagers so want to be connected, but they'll never tell you or rarely will tell you. <laughs> uh, and so the parents interpret that as well. I guess it's fine. And it's the, from the kid's point of view, it's not fine, but, but they have lost that childlike ability to just sort of demand it. And, and they just settle for disconnection. And of course they now have their own device, right? And they can disconnect. Um, but man, what they're really longing for, uh, all the way through we found, um, I mean, once they go off to college, maybe it's a little different. Uh, it was for our kids. They're ready to go, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but man, while they were home and even even when my son comes home from college, he's 21 now. But he so wants to be with us. And uh, we just need to realize our kids want that, whether they're saying it directly or not. Oh, that's powerful. And really, for people that, that are, are just hearing about this book, I mean, it's been out for, for a little while. Um, it's a book that you wrote with research from Barna Research on a lot of different topics. Um, you know, you cover everything from, from, you know, basic family stuff. There's even a chapter, we won't get into it right now, but on, on you alluded to pornography and some of those kind of things. Um, mm -hmm. But through it all, there's really this unified theme of what's the picture out there right now and what's the possibility of, of how, do we, how do we become... Um, the types of families that tech has its place, but doesn't invade the most important things. Yes, exactly. And, and it ha totally has a place. I mean, our family, uh, we all in different ways, love our devices at the right time for the right use, but we just don't want it to crowd out the best. Um, and, and the really encouraging thing is there is a way to do this. I mean, there re you really can, it's not easy. But you make, you set up some initial hard choices, hard for parents as well as hard for kids. And then you find that there's a way to live um, faithfully uh, the life that we, that we most want at our best, that we want at our best of connection with each other, of, of spiritual, emotional, physical growth. Um, and all that can happen and we can still benefit from the ways these things are super useful, yeah. <laughs> um, without having them take over, but you have to be intentional because man, the default settings uh, on our whole lives now are easy everywhere. And that is not actually the way to the, the life we really want. Uh, it feels in the moment, it feels like the life you want, uh, but in the long run, it doesn't deliver. And then this other thing that's hard and that requires love and patience and persistence actually leads to the life that we most desire. So it's all about really having in the long run, the life that we all want together as parents and children. That's the, that's phenomenal. And so for parents that are wanting to, to both, you know, get copies of the book as well as connect with you further, what's the, what's the easiest way to do that? Uh, yeah, the book is of course the TechWise family sold, uh, on all sorts of technological platforms like Amazon and so forth. <laughs> a drone will deliver it to your door, easy everywhere. Uh, download it for your Kindle. Uh, and I, I have a website, andycrouch.com, andy-crouch.com, that just has information about all my books, including TechWise Family, and uh, is one way to keep posted on anything I might be doing that's interesting. <laughs> well, and, and you're doing a, a ton of interesting things. Um, yeah, I've read it. We could talk for hours. I've read a bunch. And, and to, what I love is that you engage 
you engage yourself in, in your books. And I think parents that are reading this, this isn't a book that's going to shame you. This isn't a book that's going to embarrass you. It's going to be a book that inspires you and kind of is a, a reminder of, of, you know, what's possible. And so, Andy, I really appreciate your time today. Um, this book is awesome. I, I hope that, that more and more parents read it. I know a lot have read it already, but, but I know um, more need to. Um, and I know I need wow. to read it over and over again, too. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I recommend just keeping it by your bedside table and just pick it up every night. No, well, thank you, Chuck. It's uh, so encouraging that you found it helpful. I hope other people do too. And so great to talk. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, there's so many foundational things that Andy shared, and I hope you're rushing out there. If you haven't already purchased a book to, to pick it up at um, all the online places that it's sold as well as, as your, your local, um, bookstores will probably have a copy of that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to, to think about how important it is to focus on, on the big picture of what family is supposed to be. And, and I hope you've been inspired by that. I, I certainly have been, um, there's some other things that, that are going on right now that I, I would just want to bring you up to speed as far as project patch. Um, one is in the show notes, I've posted a link um, to a news story done by Lauren Clark, a reporter with KBOI, which is the Boise CBS affiliate. Um, she was driving through Garden Valley, saw the Project Patch sign, did some um, Google searching as only a journalist can do, and, and saw our website, heard about our programs that we have going on in our youth for both boys and girls, and some of the topics that we cover specifically look at technology and that's one of the areas that she was um, eager to learn more about and do a story about and so lauren came onto our campus filmed that that news story about teen tech addictions and and i really think you'll be inspired seeing it um, for some of you that haven't seen our campus in idaho it's it's beautiful and, and she did a really nice job capturing that as well as our kids stories um, for some of you you may be looking at your summer and fall schedule already and feeling overwhelmed by how fast your kids are growing up or maybe some transitions that are looming, um, some challenges that your family has around communication, problem solving, or maybe just this crazy cycle that seems to um, keep interrupting closeness for your family. Um, you know, it's, it's really normal for families to struggle, but what I want to tell you is that, is that you don't have to be normal. The Project Patch family experience in Goldendale, Washington is a fantastic way to pull your entire family away for a retreat. Um, during that retreat, we're going to take care of you, we'll feed you, we'll take care of the cleaning, you're going to be very comfortable as far as setting, and also it's going to be just a fun chance for you to learn more about your family members. We do a, um, work around personality profiles, we do a bunch of stuff on a low ropes course, um, some challenges, we do a lot of coaching, we have your family talk through different activities, and, and we teach you um, some principles, some foundations on how to pull your family closer together. Um, it's one of those things that's really a great um thing for every family member. It's really designed for full participation for everyone that's getting into the, the grade school age and, and above and um, older than that. And um, we'd love to have you there for, for a weekend. You know, there's only two weekends left for this year. Um, wow, time is flying by as far as my schedule. Um, we've had to be, be kind of choosy about how we, we spend um, some of our time, but there's August 16 through 18, um, a weekend there for the public, and also October 24 five through 20 something nine ish. I think that's what it is. So end of October, if you want more information for that, sign up right now, get your information at um, projectpatch.org. Just click on the link for families, or you can just type in thefamilyexperience.org and you'll get directed um, exactly to that, to that site. 
Um, a couple other things on our upcoming schedule in August. Um, I'll be at the ASI convention. Look forward to seeing some of you there. Um, I'll also be in um, at the North America Division. It's the Seventh Adventist Teachers Convention in Chicago. I'll be presenting there on Tuesday um, late morning um, to teachers on the topic of teaching kids who are much more interested in video games, social media, and their phones. And so um, love to see you there. We have a booth there as well as, as doing that, that breakout session. Um, in September, I'll be in Butte, Montana. October, I'll be at the Refresh Conference in Chicago. I'll be at the Sandy Seventh-day Adventist Church doing a special event for kids and parents. I'm talking specifically around the topics of pornography. And then I'll be in Medford, Oregon also. And so would love to see you at some of those events. Um, or if you want to talk to me about bringing uh, me out to your your um, church or community, you can find more at projectpatch.org forward slash seminars. Um, so special thanks to Andy Crouch for making this episode possible. I really appreciate um, his time and I appreciate your time. You know, there's a lot of things you could be doing, but you're taking time um, to learn information that can strengthen your family, make a difference of a lifetime. So now go out there, connect with your family. We can help at Project Patch in today's family experience. 